Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Varsity Videos, brought to you by the OHIO Podcast. Here at Varsity Videos, we review and rank sports films from the Super Bowl to the Toilet Bowl. I am your host, Chris Wilds, a self-proclaimed popcorn expert and a podcaster. And today I am joined by my co-host, Eric Boggs. Eric, how are things today? Things are good, my man. Things are good. Ready for the Sweet 16 in our 64 movie matchup. Yeah, yeah, we're we're coming down to it, Eric, and it, there were some good matchups this week. Before we dive into that, though, what do we have on the news front? Yeah, so there is a new soccer movie going to be coming our way called Next Goal Wins. It is a uh, sports comedy drama filmed by Taika Waititi. So don't don't judge me on the name. Aaron will be proud of you this year. <laughs> Yes, he also co-wrote uh, <clears throat> um, the screenplay with uh, Ian Morris, and the film is based on the 2014 documentary by the same name um, by Mike Brett and Steve Jameson. It's about a Dutch-American coach named Thomas Rongen who uh, efforts to lead an American Samoa soccer team considered the we- weakest team in the world to qualification for the 2014 FIFA World Cup. So it's based on a true story, which we always, for the most part, believe makes the best sports movies, Chris. So this is uh, a soccer film that will be heading our way uh, probably in 2023 that uh, should be interesting. Yeah, you know, I've actually seen a little bit about this as well, and I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, but you know what? We got we got some business to take care of, Eric. Yes, we do. We absolutely we do. Sweet 16. Man, I tell you, this is this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the matchups get really good, and the the contenders and pretenders kind of separate at this point, Chris. This is uh, one of those. I I think maybe outside of obviously just the final four and 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 the wondering of where people will go and they're voting with that. I feel that the Sweet Sixteen is always there's always some surprises. That's just like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Eric, I have not looked at the voting this week specifically for this purpose. Nice. You know, I I want to make sure that my opinion is mine, your opinion is yours, and, you know, we don't get swayed by the voters. So, Which is easy to do, actually. It's easy. It's very easy to get persuaded by them. You know, we love our audience and we want to, you know, please our audience, but sometimes we just have to go the other way. So, That's right. Let's dive right in. What do you say we start with that family-friendly bracket? 
let's do that. And let's start with the number three ranked film Cars from 2003, taking on the number seven seated Secretariat from 2010. And I thought for the Sweet 16, uh, Chris, what we would do would we would mention maybe one scene from the movie that we really, really like um, that sticks out when you think about the film. And for me, I'll go ahead and start with Secretariat. I think for me, it's that film or the part of the film when um, uh, John Malkovich, who is is a, a horse trainer, is out trying to golf and he's really, really bad at it. And uh, Diane Lane, uh, the actress uh, who uh, she's playing Penny, uh, comes to him and she's trying to persuade him to become the trainer for um, her stable and he's like, I'm retired now, I'm golfing. And then she drives away, and he's so bad at it. And he's like, well, I was pretty good at being a horse trainer. So he throws his golf clubs in the trash can. I love that scene. It just, for some reason, it just sticks out in my head. And for me, in Cars, I absolutely love the scene after Lightning McQueen uh, gets the um, the main drag paved where all the cars go out and they go cruising for the first time at night uh, there and, and in, the, in the town. I love that scene that sticks out in my mind as well. Yeah, I'll tell you, Eric, for me, we have the same one for Secretary, but let me tell you, for cars, it's a little bit different. For me, it's all about when Doc is trying to teach – uh, Lightning McQueen to race in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. That scene cracks me up every time I see it. You know, it's interesting, Chris, because as I think about it, I think they're just actually more memorable scenes in cars than there are Secretariat. I, I agree with you. And, and even though Secretariat might be the better film overall, there's just something about cars. It's a great film that you can. Yeah, I, I think you feel good about you know sitting there with your kids watching it. Like you said, there's many memorable scenes. And come on, Larry the Cable Guy as as Mater is just awesome. Uh, so I, I'm going to be honest with you. For me, I'm going cars with this one. Yeah, I was leaning Secretariat, but as I sit here, I think I'm going to change my vote here and go with cars. I am. Um, and I and so let me pull up uh, the fan vote real fast and by a score of 21 to six. Cars had the fan vote as well, so it's a clean sweep uh, for the, our first animated sports film to move on to the grade eight. It's the first one to get there, Chris. So, well Thanks. done to Cars. Well, I'll tell you what, that leaves us what number five over the top versus number nine kicking and screaming, correct? It does. Why don't you tell me your favorite scenes in those films? Well, I'll tell you what, kicking and screaming for me. I'm going to start out there. I think it's a fun movie. Um, but but what does it for me is Mike Ditka. I love the scene in that movie where Will Ferrell is yelling at him to go get him a juice box. <laughs> go get me a juice box, juice box. Yeah, you know, and the two of them go at it. Absolutely love that scene. Uh, over the top, you know, such such a good film. Uh, I think you know vastly underrated. Uh, I love the story. I love you know Stallone's character. I love Robert Loggia. Loggia, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, the part, guy who plays the grandfather. Just a tremendous actor. Uh, in that movie, I th- you know, I, th- I think you got to go with that final matchup with him uh, versus, uh, I believe it's Bull is the, is the 
the big guy's name. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, his win over bowl after, you know, getting beat by him so badly earlier. Yeah. I think that's gotta be it for me. Yeah. I was just going to say for me over the top, it's gotta be the entire last segment of the movie when, when he's at the big trucker yeah. tournament, I, I just love every aspect of that. I love how when Stallone turns his hat backwards, he goes to a different place. I just feel like that's that's a great moment as well for me. Big, big over-the-top fan. For me, Kicking and Screaming, I agree with you. Anything with Ditka in it is absolutely hilarious. Talk about an athlete who was also a great actor, and all he had to do was just be himself. (laughs) So... Love that as well, but I I'm gonna go with over the top here. I'm a I just think it's just got more meat on the bone there. I think there's even though it's kind of a what we would call a lesser sport, it yeah. is a sports movie. But there's just a great father son story there that I think needs to be retold again. I would love to see an over the top remake, and I'm not big on movies being remade, but I feel like this is one that could possibly be remade or in the vein of say like uh uh top gun maybe we get a continuation later in the years with like they like like they did with maverick something on those lines yeah and, and i'll tell you one other thing about over the top that i really loved was the way they did almost the uh they shot it at times almost like a documentary with yeah the, i thought that was brilliant um but yeah for me i gotta go with over the top as well i love kicking and screaming Love Will Ferrell, love Ditka, but over the top's just better. And for the second straight time, it's a clean sweep. The fans, by a vote of 19 to 3, agree with you and I over the top, which means it's going to be number five seed over the top versus number three seed cars in our family-friendly bracket in the gray eight to see which film will go to the final four, Chris. That's going to be a tough one, Eric. That's That's a good matchup. It is. It's a very good matchup. All right. Heading now to our sequels and remakes bracket. Let's start with the two versus three matchup. Number two, Creed 2 from 2018 versus number three, The Karate Kid Part 2 from 1986. And let's begin right there. I'm a big Karate uh, karate Kid fan. However, outside of the first movie, not so much. Now, moving into the second film, I do believe that there is a nice little uh, mentor, uh, trainee, father-son type of story between Mr. Miyagi and daniel son as he goes overseas. But what I don't like about this film is the love interest that quickly changes to uh, the local, uh, the local girl there, and then the whole kind of like Asian gangster thing that's happening with that. I find that a little awkward and, and displaced, but um, as far as just the karate and the action, I would say karate kid part two might actually have better martial arts in it than the original. And that I do like on the creed two. What I love about this is just the callback to Rocky uh, two and three actually two and four in this film where you've got Adonis Johnson putting on the red, white, and blue trunks like his dad, Apollo Creed war. And then you have 
Dolph Lundgren's character Ivan Drago making an appearance as the father of Victor Drago, who is the the challenger in this film. Was he I, in this movie? Yeah, you know, talk about another actor who doesn't get enough chops is Dolph Lundgren. Dude, dude yeah. was in a lot of really good movies, but um, and still doing a great job in some of his more modern stuff lately. But I love the callback to Rocky here. I feel like there was just enough of that to make it give you that kind of uh, uh, feeling of nostalgia. But at the same time, it's its own film and that I can appreciate, Chris. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, Eric, what did it for you and Rocky actually hurt or in Creed actually hurt Creed a little bit for me. Okay. Was was the fact that you know, I kind of felt like I was watching just a Rocky remake in a sense. Um I, I love the story, don't get me wrong. I love the story, I love the idea, the premise of the movie. Uh, again, I thought there were several very good performances, obviously Stallone, Michael B. Jordan, but Dolph Lundgren was spot on. Um, Karate Kid 2, I actually, I, I loved it. I, I thought I loved the development of the, you get more of the backstory of Mr. Miyagi. I love the kind of the rivalry between him and his, uh, you know, former best friend. Um, the fight at the end, like you said, absolutely great. Um I think, again, as you said, I think the martial arts in this film may actually be better than they were in the first one. That being said, I just kind of feel that Creed 2 was pro- probably the better made movie. Uh, and I think I've got to give it the nod. Mm, okay. It hurt. It hurt. I really wanted to go with Karate Kid 2 here, but this is one I think that you know, Creed 2, I think, was actually the better movie. <clears throat> I'm torn because I agree that I think I think if, if you were going to ask me, hey, you got to watch a film today, Creed 2 or Karate Kid Oh, Part it's two. Karate Kid 2 for me. Is it For me, it's Creed 2. I think I'd rather watch Creed 2. But when you add the first movies to these lists, so Creed and then Karate Kid. And yes. then you and you combine them with the second. I tend to feel like Karate Kid Part Two might be stronger because of how it ties into the first one. Yeah. Um, and it's oh, you're so, starting to sway me, Eric. I was torn already, and you're starting to sway me. Well, and here's what's interesting about it. I think it's different enough to where you feel like you're not rewatching the first one. There's similarities. I kind of felt with Creed was it was different enough. It was different a little bit, but. It just felt to me like just a straight remake at times. Yeah. Now, what I like about Creed 2 is it's not a it's not a um, where the first movie, you kind of get all the introductory and backstory and it's really slow until you get it going. Creed 2 just jumps right in, which I love personally. Um, But you know what? I think the backstory is what makes Karate Kid 2 in a lot of ways. I know because of Miyagi, right? Yeah. You know what? I think I'm going to go Karate Kid Part 2 for that simple fact. I think you get Mr. Miyagi's backstory. And I what a, what is such a great iconic character that I think that is stronger for me than what you get in Creed 2. So I think I'm going to give my, cast my you know vote what, Eric? for you, Karate You've swayed Kid. me back. You've swayed me back. I was going to do it originally. 
I didn't pull the trigger. I want Karate Kid 2 as well. Okay. Well, that doesn't really – it means that the fan vote doesn't really matter. But if it did, oh, my gosh, this is close. I guess you can't go wrong either way. Uh, Creed 2 had 20 votes, and the Karate Kid Part 2 had 29 votes. Okay. So clean sweep for the Karate Kid Part 2. He swept the leg, if you catch my drift. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so Rocky II, which was the number one seed in the sequels and remakes bracket against one of your favorites, Major League Two. Rocky II, of course, from 1979. Major League Two from 1994. Let's begin with Major League Two. Um, I love the scene of Roger Dorn asking if it was too early for a Roger Dorn night. Night. Uh, Coach Lou in the in the hospital celebrating. Love that. Um, those are two of my favorite scenes from Major League Two. Of course, the catcher who can't throw it back to the pitcher. That's that's classic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you know, Rocky Two is my favorite Rocky film. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what, Eric? It, it's it's a classic without doubt. Major League Two, first of all, let me correct you. Major League Two is not one of my all-time favorites. It's good. But, you know, not nearly as good as one. I think one almost ruined it for two. Um, but you're right. It has so many great scenes. I love the part where he's, you know, you know where Vaughn has named his pitches. And he's like, here it comes, the Eliminator. Get a piece of it. You can name it. But boy, you know, going back to the name of the pitches, you you can't go without mentioning Bob Euchre again here. Yeah. That that little sequence he had where he's like, I don't know whether it was the Eliminator or the Terminator. Either way, it's see you later. He's going to (laughs) become a spectator. You know, (laughs) Bob Euchre, brilliant in those movies. Uh, not, Not as much in the second as the first, but you know what? We've talked about it before. Harry Doyle should have his own movie. Yeah. Uh, Rocky II. Just what what isn't great about this film? Uh, for me, you, you know, that last scene, that, that last match where they just they land those punches simultaneously and they both go down. It was just great. Um Everything was good about this, from the from the cinematography to the to, to the music. Everything was spot on with Rocky. I got to go Rocky too. It's no, it's not even close for me, and it really wasn't close in the fan vote either, Chris. Twenty four to nine, I think it was. Uh, let me zoom back up here and double check that real Wait, fast. So I got you. Got to give some love to those people who chose. Uh, or major league there with nine votes because I didn't think it was going to be that yeah. close. Yeah, twenty-four to nine was the official final count. So again, all no no surprises this week. We, you and I, along with the fans, all agree on the films, and so it's going to be number three seeded the Karate Kid Part Two versus the number one seed Rocky Two. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's the only number one seed left in this tournament, I believe. I think so, uh, so Rocky Two is going to move on. Uh, to take on the Karate Kid Part 2 and the Great 8 to see who's going to go to the final four, which means we have four films to add to our flick chart, Chris. All right, let's do it. So let's begin with Secretariat. 
Secretariat. And first up from 2014, Draft Day. Ooh. I got to go Draft Day. The Secretariat's a great movie, but I'm just more invested in Draft Day. If I had to choose one to watch, it's going to be Draft Day. Yep, let's give it to Kevin Costner here. All right, from 1994, Little Giants. Now, Eric, you and I both know Secretariat is a far superior film here. It is, yes. But there's a special place in my heart for Little Giants, and I can't go against them. So you want to be heads or tails this week? I'll take tails. And heads is Victoria's Secretariat moving on to take it on from it, it really it does. does it does man it's another good one matchup for it from 2012 Trouble with the Curve ooh I think I, I'm leaning Secretariat I here. am as well here Eric yeah all right from 2009 Invictus again I want Secretariat yeah absolutely from night. 1998, he got game. Then little Denzel Washington here. I, I gotta go. He got game here. Yeah, me as well. From 1980, Raging Bull. Give me Secretariat. Uh, I know Raging Bull is considered iconic. It's artsy yeah. fartsy. Ah, uh, you know what? Let's flip for it. All right, let's do that. And it's tails this time. Raging Bull gets the win from 2014 Million Dollar Arm. Both Disney films. I think Secretariat has got a little bit more pizzazz to it. It does. Million Dollar Arm is more fun, but give me Secretariat. And Secretariat now sits at number 72 on our flick chart. And our thought it would be. What's that? That seems a lot lower than I thought it would be. Yeah, well, we've got 125 films now. So, yeah. all right, next up, Kicking and Screaming. Let's throw that in here. Kicking and Screaming. Oh, let's see. It's the and sign, not the actual word spelled out here. Kicking and Screaming from what year was this? 2005. All right. Draft Day, once again. Give me Draft Day. Oh, Draft Day. Oh, man, from 1994, Little Giants. These are kind of similar films, aren't they? i, I got to go Little Giants here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a couple soccer films now from 2002, Bend It Like Beckham. Here's where Kicking and Screaming gets the win. Yeah, I agree. From 1987, Teen Wolf 2, give me Kicking and Screaming. Yeah, absolutely. From 2019, Fighting With My Family. I think I'm going to go fighting with my family here. Let's flip for it, shall we? And it is heads. Kicking and screaming gets the win. From 1986, Rad. Oh, kicking and screaming. Not even close. (laughs) From 1971, Brian's song. Ooh. Two completely opposite movies here. Very. Uh... I'm going to take kicking and screaming. Let's flip for this one again. But they both have a Chicago Bears connection, Eric. (laughs) That's that's right. They do. Heads again. So kicking and I mean, Brian's song gets it. All right. So kicking and screaming. Number 100. Number 100 on our flick chart. 
All right, next up is Creed 2. This this could be a changer for some people. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> from 1985, Teen Wolf. I, I got a feeling I know which way you're going. I'm going Creed 2. Ooh. As much as I love Teen Wolf, I'm going to agree with you. Creed 2 is a far superior film here. Uh, from 2009, The Blind Side. Uh, I, oh, I really like The Blind Side. Me too. Yeah, I'm going to take The Blind Side here. I am as well. From 2015, The Bronze. Give me Creed 2. Yeah, yeah. The raunchy comedy is fun, but Creed 2 is a better movie. From 2000, The Legend of Bagger Vance. Ooh. You know what? On the speed of the film, I'm going to go Creed 2. Yes, there are definitely some slow spots in Bagger Vance. From 1992, White Man Can't Jump. I love that movie. I know you do. It's so funny. I think I'm going to take Creed, though. Are you really? What for? Creed 2. What's that? Why? What for? I, you know, I like this story a little better. I, I love the comedy in, in White Man Can't Jump. I like the story a little bit better in Creep 2. I think we're going to have to flip for this one. And, and, and I'm not going to lie. There could be a little bit of rocky times in there. Tales. So Creep 2 gets it. From 2004, Dodgeball. <laughs> Did you, like, pick these movies out just to torture me this week, Eric? I, apparently, we're in the segment uh, of the movies that you really love. Y- you know what? I am going to take dodgeball here. I am as well. All right. From 1974, the original, The Longest Yard. Oh, give me The Longest Yard. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. Creed 2 now sits at number 37 on the flick chart. So, That's respectable. Yeah, very good landing. All right, Major League 2. Let's pull it up and add it to the flick chart. And this is going to be a re-rank for us, by the way. So we'll see where it goes. 2014 draft day. Hey, 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 hey. Ooh, Cleveland versus Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> Cleveland rocks, right? That's right. I'm gonna go Major League Two. Mm, let's flip for it. Yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm. A, I think Draft Day's got uh, in its head, so it's Draft Day. I think Draft Day just has a little bit more there. Um, it does. Than Major League Two. Major League Two is just kind of slapstick. But all right, here's an interesting one. Talk about opposite movies again from 1971. Brian's song. Here I'll go Major League Two. I'm gonna take Major League Two. All right, from 2012, Trouble with the Curve. Major League Two. I agree. Uh, from 2014, Million Dollar Arm. I'm still gonna go Major League Two here. I agree. From 1998, he got game. Well, I want to go Major League Two here. I really do, but I, 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 I got to give it to Denzel. All right, let's flip for it. Tails, he got game, gets the win. Major League Two against from 1980, Raging Bull. 
Major give, League. Yeah, give me Major League Two. Uh, from 1988, Johnny Be Good. Oh. <laughs> I got to go Johnny Be Good here. Yeah, let's go with Johnny. All right, so Major League Two went from 96 to 72. Not bad. Yeah, so it it uh, scoots its way down the, the board a little bit there. So congratulations to Major League Two. So we now have 131 movies ranked on our flick chart, Chris. And that, that's not bad. We're working our way up there a little bit. We're getting there. Yeah, we are. Well, you know what, Eric? We got another movie we're getting ready to rank here shortly. Or actually, in this case, re-rank. Because I'll tell you, it is a great one. I, and like I mentioned before we came on the air, Eric, you don't realize how great until you watch it again. Uh, you know, it, it is one I think sometimes we forget about, forget about just how good it is. And that is Field of Dreams. Uh, Field of Dreams was released April 21st of 1989. It was based on the novel Shoeless Joe, written in 1982 by Canadian author W.P. Kinsella. It had a budget of $15 million. And Eric, it grossed 64.4 domestically and 84.4 million worldwide. So definitely a successful movie there. The on-screen adaptation of the Kinsella novel was written by Phil Alden Robinson, who also directed the film. 
The film was produced by Brian Frankish, Charles Gordon, Lawrence Gordon, and Lloyd Levin. It was distributed by Universal Pictures. Music was done by James Horner. The main actors in the film are Kevin Costner as Ray Kinsella, Amy Madigan as Ray's wife, Annie Kinsella, Gabby Hoffman as Karen Kinsella, the late and great Ray Liotta as Shoeless Joe Jackson, James Earl Jones as Terrence Mann, Hollywood icon Burt Lancaster as Dr. Moonlight Graham, Frank Whaley as the younger Archie Graham, and Timothy Busfield as Mark. Also, Eric, and I don't know if you knew this or not, the voice in the movie is done by Ed Harris. And if you Mm -hmm. watch the Fenway Park scene really close, you'll see cameos by uh, two pretty famous Boston natives, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yes, I knew that. (laughs) Currently on the flick chart ratings, Field of Dreams has a global ranking of 956, which, as we've seen among sports movies, that's a pretty good ranking. Yes, it is. Uh, The film has been ranked 269,934 times by a total of 28,809 flick chart users. Currently, uh, 974 users have it ranked in their top 20, and Eric, 46 have it ranked as their number one movie of all time. So, Eric, why don't we dive in to Field of Dreams? Let's do it. I have it broken down in the three acts. Chris, let's begin with the first act. Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner, like you said, opens the movie with a monologue about his upbringing, which includes the story of his father, John, who was a catcher in the minor leagues, but was a big baseball fan who just never made it to the majors. However, uh, by the time John is in his 30s, uh, Ray considers him an old man already just based off of life experiences and where he's at. Um, He and his wife shared with Ray, however, when he was a young child, their love of baseball, which is where where Ray gets his love for the sport from. As Ray grows older, of course, he becomes more obstinate. He goes off to college at Berkeley in California, where he meets his wife, Annie, who is from Iowa. And I love the uh, in this monologue how he goes back and it's showing different times. And it kind of talks a little bit about how his experiences in the 60s while in California kind of shaped his his mindset, which was very different than from that of his father. And, and I love this line. This is the first of many quotes I'm going to be giving you today. And this is at the end of his monologue. He says, until I heard the voice. I had never done a crazy thing in my whole life. (laughs) So it just lets you know right from the beginning, it's a little foreshadowing of what's to come. Ray's out walking in his cornfields now. Uh, He, he of course, marries Annie, and they uh, buy a farm out in Iowa. And he's out walking his cornfields when he hears a voice say, if you build it, he will come. Annie and their daughter Karen are swinging on the porch, but they didn't hear the voice. Ray hears the voice again. If you build it, he will come. Um, he's just trying to. He's he's like literally talking the voice. What do you mean? Where are you? What do you, what's going on here? And of course, they didn't hear it. So he just goes back into the house, Chris. And that night, he falls asleep, and he's woken up out of his sleep, hearing the voice again. If you build it, he will come. 
and it wakes Annie up and, and, and she's like, are you okay, Ray? And he goes, it's okay, honey. I'm just talking to the cornfield. <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking to the corn. After a quick trip to town, which is, I think, one of the more funnier uh, scenes when he's he's yeah. buying some feed and things there at the um, at the uh, feed store. Who's hearing voices? Yeah, all the farmers are like, hey, who's hearing voices? Ray's hearing voices. I, I'm not. He's denying it all, you know, and everything. And and then he goes back out to his cornfield that afternoon again. He's walking the fields again when he hears the voice again. And this is when he kind of receives one of a couple visions. And the first one is of a baseball field there in the midst of his cornfield. Um, Ray then tells Annie what he thinks uh, the saying means in, in that he needs to build a baseball field for Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, and and so Annie, who I love, I love this character. And here's a little side note for you. This is where I'm going to take a little rabbit here on the story. Very few actors and actresses, I think, could pull off the roles that were given to them in this film to make it feel realistic and believable. I don't know of an actress that could have pulled off the fun-loving um loud 60s hippie um but yet supportive wife role that that Annie is better than Amy than Amy Amy Madigan did. I just don't know of one. She was perfect for the role, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many wives who would look at their husband who says I think we need to build a baseball field in the cornfield and she's like okay. I think I think we should do this, you know. Uh, she calls him crazy, um, but then says, you know, that's why I love you, and I think we should do it. So Ray begins mowing down some of his corn and begins making a baseball field. And again, the local farmers and, and townsfolk are all out watching. They're like calling him crazy for it. <laughs> so um, it, again, I, just a, some hu- humorous, uh, and it's so sleight of hand too, Chris. It's it's humor, but it's not like slapstick or immature or, or gross humor. It's just yeah. – it's kind of like, man, this is kind of crazy, kind of funny, you know? Uh, Ray finishes the field, and he and Annie are out enjoying the field under the lights uh, after he's done creating just, just magical ball field. And I love this scene. So, again, so slight, but yet perfect. Summer turns to fall. Fall turns to winter and nothing happens, right? He's sitting in the window looking at snow out on his baseball field, right? Ray and Annie are going over their finances. Um, They used all their savings on the field. And so there's a concern about losing the farm now, Chris. And so this is kind of the, the underlining story within the story that is played out throughout the film. About the the fact that uh, they just because of this crazy thing of building a ball field in his cornfield, they're just not going to be able to make it financially. Uh, Karen informs them uh, they're they're talking about this when their daughter Karen informs them that a man is on the baseball diamond. Ray walks over to the window when he sees someone in old time baseball uniform standing in the field. Ray turns on the lights. That man standing in the diamond is, happens to be Shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, which was played, again, by, you said, the late Ray Liotta. And I I don't know. I, I think Ray is a good actor. 
I, I can think of at least two roles that I thought he did a phenomenal job, and this is one of them. I This was just a great role for him. Ray walks out and hits some fly balls to Shoeless Joe Jackson. I mean, can you imagine that, Chris, hitting some fly balls to Shoeless Joe Jackson? And again, some slight humor. The first one he hits is, yeah. a, ground, is a grounder. Off the bat. <laughs> they exchange greetings, and then Joe tells Ray what it was like being thrown out of baseball. Of course, he played for the Black Sox, as you know. And then uh, Ray pitches BP to him, and uh, Ray says, hey, uh, don't we need a catcher? And Joe says, not if you get it near the plate, we don't. <laughs> Again, just great line. Uh, I love the one where he goes, all right, I'm going to throw you my curveball. And Joe, and Joe just drills it right back up the middle, right? Um, and it, it about takes him off his feet, which is, again, a great a great uh, part of the first movie with a little bit of humor there. Um, they invite him in for dinner, but then Joe tells him that he can't pass beyond the field. Uh, but then he says, there's more of us. Uh, and and so obviously it's, again, foreshadowing that there's going to be more than just Shoeless Joe Jackson walk through the cornfield. But then I love this line. He goes, is this heaven? And Ray answers, no, it's Iowa. <laughs> now, I've been to Iowa. And let me tell you, it is no heaven, Chris. But no, definitely not. Yeah. But the baseball field in I in Iowa, it probably does feel like heaven to those people because Iowa's so boring. Besides that, Andy's brother Mark and his wife are sitting at the dinner table with Ray and Andy trying to convince Ray to sell the farm to him and his investors. Karen tells Ray that there is an entire team of players out in the field. Ray excuses himself from the table and, and he goes out to watch the uh the White Sox team or the quote unquote Black Sox. Uh, having a little practice on the field and Mark is about to leave uh, and he and his wife and uh, the, and Annie's mother there. Of course, Mark is uh, Annie's brother, but they cannot see the players on the field. And, it, and it's the first time that that Ray and Annie and their daughter, Karen, realize that they are the only ones who are seeing the players on the field that no one else is. And I feel that that's kind of the first act of the film, Chris. This is kind of where things really start to pick up from here and get kind of mysterious. But this sets up the film, uh, sets it uh, sets the film up for the remainder of what we're going to experience in the last two thirds of the movie. What were your thoughts of, uh, of the opening of the film and what were some of your favorite parts of it? Well, I thought they did an excellent job of character development, uh, you know, and right from the get go with uh, Costner's monologue. Um, I, I really love, like you said, the kind of dry comedy they put in there. Uh, that, that scene you mentioned where, the curveball where he's like, let's see if you hit my curveball. Knocks him off the mat. Yep, you can hit it. Yes, so. Okay. <laughs> um, I really like the character of Mark, though, a lot, too. I think he is a perfect quasi-antagonist for the film. Yes. Uh, you know, because there, there's this part of you that says, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. He wants to help his sister, but gosh, what a jerk. You know, why didn't he just understand, uh, you know, and then the, the mother-in-law, you know, kind of getting snippy because she thinks they're being rude and they just kind of laugh like, Oh, they really can't see him. You know, what's, what's going on here? Uh, 
yeah, I thought the first part of the movie I thought was, and and this is one of the big things there. Typically, when you have a backstory developing, it's slow. I don't think that this backstory development really dragged. Uh, you know, not not as much as you've seen in a lot of movies. I I thought that it had a good pace for the for that type of uh, setup. Yeah, I did as well. And here's 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 an interesting little nugget for you. See if you know this one. Mark, played by Timothy Busfield, which, by the way, Mark has a redemptive story as well in this that I love. Yeah. But he, he there was no joke that the actors chosen in this film were all pretty decent athletes. Okay. Because uh, they wanted to make it realistic. Kevin Costner, by the way, I don't know of a better actor in Hollywood to play in a baseball film. The dude's just – he's obviously – cornered the market on that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But Timothy Busfield was in another baseball film where he played one of the leading roles. Do you know which one that was? Can you recall? When I tell you, you're gonna go. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't believe I didn't put two and two together. What? Was he in Bull Durham? No. Yeah. Hold on. I. I. Uh, in nineties, a nineties kid baseball film. Oh wait a minute. He was the. Uh, he. He was in. Uh, how? Was it Rookie of the Year? Close. No, it's the yeah, little big league. Little big league. He's yeah, the main. He played like a stepfather or a boyfriend or something. Yes, you yeah. got it. Yes. And so uh, I just feel like, OK, like talk about uh, putting together a cast. Right. I mean, he was <laughs> he's in little big league, too, which I thought was fantastic when I learned that. All right. in stripes. And then uh, what well, was he was in. Uh, he was oh, known for. Birds. He was known for nerds yeah. and Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds and Revenge of the Nerds 2 yes. is how he made his big, big debut. But uh, uh, another actor that you didn't mention was Art LaFleur, who plays Chick and the first baseman. And yeah. he has the conversation about how his uniform uh, still fits. <laughs> yeah. After 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a good one. I, that's, that. I like his stuff too. Yeah, I, I like him. the The scene in the towards the end of the movie. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I won't get into that, but uh, yeah, I'll let you talk about that here in just a little bit. Act number two, we hear a voice again. This time it says, "Ease his pain." Um, and and so Ray comes back in and tells Annie, "I've heard the voice again." This time it says ease his pain. And I love this line. You're not going to have to build a football field now too, are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we then transition to a local scoreboard, a school board meeting where parents are upset about a book written by the author Terrence Mann. Um, they, they're calling it things like pornography and, and everything like that. And Annie, of course, from the 60s, is not about to condone a book burning here, so she stands up for Mr. Man. Uh, and and Ray's just lost in his thoughts during this scene. He's 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 trying to figure out what this ease his pain means, and that's when he realizes that uh, he needs to ease the pain of the author, Mr. Man. So 
he starts doing research on this author and Annie uh, doesn't want him to go until she finds out that they both had a dream about him going to Fenway Park and eating a hot dog on the first base side with Terrence Mann. And when she realizes that, she says, I'll go pack your bags. And and so we now see Ray in a Volkswagen bus on his way to Boston to try to meet Mr. Mann and, and have him go to a Boston Red Sox game with him at Fenway Park. Ray finds Terrence in a small apartment in Boston, but Terrence, which is played by James Earl Jones, like he said, uh, wants nothing to do with this. Oh, by the way, another trivia question for you. What other baseball movie was James Earl Jones in? Too simple. Oh, he, he was in the Sandlot. He was the neighbor. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Yep. Two My two favorite baseball movies. He's in both of them. So Terrence wants nothing to do with Ray, <clears throat> but... Ray is like, hey, he's all apologetic, and he's like, he's just, hey, I, I, you know, I just got to take you to this baseball game, and again, Terrence is like, no, no, you don't, but so, so, anywho, he ends up kidnapping him in a way and taking him to this Boston Red Sox game by doing a fake pistol in his, in his coat, and of course, uh, Terrence is like, that's just your finger, and he's like, show me it's your gun, I know it's your finger, and it's, it's a, again, a funny scene there. But anyways, he gets him to go with him to uh, a Red Sox game. While at the Red Sox game, Ray hears a voice again. This is the third time. This time the voice says, go the distance. And then the scoreboard starts going crazy. And this is the second time Ray has kind of like a vision. And he sees on the scoreboard the name Moonlight Graham or Archibald Moonlight Graham, I believe it is. Uh, but Terrence says he didn't hear or see anything. Ray apologizes and tells him he guesses he didn't have to be here and says that they can leave whenever whenever he is ready. And Terrence says, good, let's go. <laughs> On his way home, Terrence is about to leave Ray when, when Terrence is standing in the middle of the road as Ray drops him off and turns his bus around and, and his or van around is about to head down this road. And there's Terrence in the middle of the middle of the road. And Terrence says, Moonlight Graham. And Ray's like, you did hear it. You did see it. And uh, Terrence admits that he did hear the voice and that they are going to go the distance to Minnesota to find Archibald Moonlight Graham. While Ray is on the road, Annie's brother, Mark, is at the farm trying to get her to sell the farm. And Ray and Terrence when, – when Ray and Terrence arrive in Minnesota – and find out that Moonlight Graham was actually Dr. Graham, but that he had passed away, Chris, 16 years ago. Terrence goes to call his son after finding out that his son has reported him missing, which it's in the newspaper. And then Ray decides that while that phone call is being made, he's going to go out for a walk to give Terrence some privacy with, for that conversation. But when he goes out for the walk, he kind of finds himself back in the back in time, Chris. And Dr. Graham is walking down the sidewalk. Uh, he he runs up to him and 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 begins to converse with him. And and Ray uh, is invited to his office where they begin to talk about baseball and about how Dr. Graham had a half an inning in the major leagues and never had the opportunity to have an at bat which was 50 years ago, he says. So uh, after this conversation, uh, which uh, Ray invites him to go back with them to Iowa to to have that at-bat, um, 
Moonlight Graham says, I can't do that. I need to go home so that my wife doesn't think I have a, a girlfriend or something. So he, he denies him. But Ray goes back to the ho- hotel to tell Terrence about this encounter he has with Dr. Graham. And then he goes ahead and calls Annie back. Uh, and Annie tells Ray that the bank sold the note to the farm back to Mark and his investors. And Mark informed them that if they don't sell the farm to him, that uh, his investors are going to foreclose the farm on them. So Terrence and Ray jump in the van and they're and they're leaving Minnesota. They're going to head back to Iowa. But on their way back to Iowa, Chris, they pick up a young man who's hitchhiking who happens to be a baseball player. And that young man, when he introduces himself to them while they're driving, again, you want to talk about great acting. Here it is. The young man says, hi, my name's Archie Graham. And the look on Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones' face when they realize that they've got Doc Grams as a young kid in their van is priceless. That's great acting right there. They don't even have to say a word. Just their their faces and the chemistry they had said it all. Love that scene. Uh, anyways, um, the last part of Act 2 is, is Ray – explaining to Terrence why his relationship with his dad was so difficult and how he never got the chance to apologize apologize to him because he said the following statement to his father that he could not respect a man whose hero was a shoeless Joe Jackson. And then, of course, his father passed away before he ever got the chance to say, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean that. So – Interesting little conversation there to kind of push the storyline about Ray and his father along, and we've got this uh, young ghost, if you will, in their van, and they're heading back to Iowa, and that is how the meat of the film kind of pushes along in Act 2 to get us to the conclusion in Act Number 3. Chris, your thoughts? Well – Amy Madigan, again, brilliant there as, as the wife. Right at the beginning, you mentioned the scene where she said something about the uh, the football field. Well, more of that was she kind of getting a little irritated at this ghost because it's being pretty vague. Right. Uh, you know, she, she's getting a little irritated by this, but she's trying to be supportive. Uh, after he goes to Boston, I think one of the great scenes, and you mentioned it, is his first encounter with Terrence Mann. But I love it when Terrence Mann realizes he's from the 60s and he grabs like the exterminator sprayer and starts spraying <laughs> and chasing out the door. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a, just a great scene. And they do. They have brilliant chemistry together. Um, I, you, you know, you talked about Amy Madigan being the only player or person that could play this role of Annie. I don't know that anyone else could have done Terrence Mann, the way James Earl Jones did. Agreed, agreed. It was just, you know, everything from the grumpy personality to the, uh, you know, the, the voice, of course, is, is what he's po- possibly most famous for. But you know, just everything about him was was spot on. Um, yeah, I, I loved the whole the whole pretense where he's like, he's all in. You know, he's. As, as they decide to go to Minnesota, he's all in on this. And he's trying to figure out his role, I think, is what I love about this, too, because he doesn't understand. He understands why everybody else is here, but he doesn't understand why he is here now. Um, but, yeah, I thought great, great uh, meat of the movie. And, again, didn't slow down one bit. Kept kept you just drawn to the screen. 
You know, I was thinking uh, last night when I was rewatching this, and it has been – I watched it once last year, um, Chris, when we had our initial 64 sports movie challenge. And, um, and it had been a while since I had seen it before last year. But for some reason – and I don't know if it was the actual Field of Dreams game between – the White Sox, and I think it was the Yankees last it's year. Up in about a week and a half, Eric. By the way, I know it's just got my it's got my sister. Reds, Reds in it. I, ch- I checked it out. Tickets yep. started only seven hundred sixty-two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about like the Ohio State Notre Dame tickets right now. Anywho, um, I I got to be honest with you, man. I watched it last night again, and I was just getting goosebumps after goosebumps after goosebumps. And I didn't experience that last year, but I was noticing different things in the movie that maybe I hadn't seen before, or thought about before. And Terrence Mann, or the James Earl Jones's character, Terrence Mann, I, to me, he was kind of just a throwaway character for a lot of the movie for me, outside of what we're about to talk about when he does his little monologue. Until yesterday, when I realized what it was all about for him, like ease his pain. What what's his pain? Like he's he's such a brilliant writer but the subject matter in which he's writing about he does no longer have the passion for okay so he had this passion in the 60s when he was writing then but he's lost that but the one passion he still has that he's going to get the opportunity to write for again or write about again he's going to get to experience that with with what he's going to see in Iowa. And I, it, I never, never made that connection to, to watching it yesterday. And I thought that was such a brilliant piece in the movie that it could be its own movie itself. Yeah. Which is yeah, just we, incredible. We, we talked me. about a uh, Harry Doyle movie. There could easily be a Terrence Mann movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that would be, a, that would, gosh, that'd be really good. Uh, I, who would we get to play that? I don't know. Maybe Forrest Whitaker, a younger oh. Terrence Mann, maybe. Anywho, um, Act Three. Here we go. So, the field is filled with a lot of players now from a lot of different teams. You see the Oakland A's uniform, the St. Louis Cardinals, my Cincinnati Reds as as represented there. Uh, you, of course, you got the White Sox, and you see a Yankees uniform. Um, trying to remember some of the other ones that might have stuck out. the Giants out. with uh, Moonlight Graham. What's that? Moonlight Graham was with the Giants. The Giants, that's right. Uh, I want to say I also saw um, – oh, it slipped my mind now. Oh, Chicago Cubs uniform, I think, was yeah. there. So um, – but, yeah, I, I love seeing those old-timey uniforms, man. It's just – it's really cool. And they're they're uh, having a game when they they in, invite Moonlight Graham to play with them, and uh, of course one of the stories that he told uh, Ray was that if he ever got the chance to bat, he was going to wink at the pitcher before he threw the pitch, so yes. he, to kind of play with his his mind. Um, and so he decides he's going to do this, and so he's up at the plate and he re- winks at the pitcher, whose nickname was Knuckles. <laughs> what a great nickname for a pitcher, right? And uh, the pitcher just throws right at his head, which it's um, it's Steve Easton who plays Eddie uh, Knuckles, the pitcher. 
and <laughs> and so he brushes him off the plate and all the guys are like why'd you do that eddie and he's like he winked at me <laughs> So I love it when he comes, he gets, shakes himself off, dusts himself off. And he's like, Hey kid, don't wink at him. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was your first baseman there. Uh, yeah. Art, Art LaFlair. Yeah. Chick, the first baseman. Yep. Yeah. Don't wink at him, kid. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and he, he throws high and tight again on him. And this is when, uh, Ed, uh, uh or, uh, Moonlight's kind of like, what is going on here? And he has a little conversation with, uh, uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson said, all right, he's throwing two of them uh, at your ear hole. Where do you think the next one's going to be? And he's like, low away. He goes, it's going to be low and away because he doesn't want to load the bases. Or it could be up at your ear hole again. <laughs> yeah. So look for all the way, but watch for in your ear. Yeah, I love that. Anyways, he hits a sack fly and uh, scores the runner from third. And so he got that major league at bat, that first one, and he gets an RBI. So how cool was that, right? So the next day, Mark arrives and he begins arguing with Ray again. Uh, this is when you have one of the more dramatic scenes in the film. They're arguing and he's trying to get get it through Ray's skull that he has to sell. Um, he's like, look, I'm not even doing this for you. I am doing this for my sister. Uh, basically, you know, like I, I'm trying to do this goodwill for her. And it gets so heated that they begin to actually pick up Ray's daughter, Karen, who was eating a hot dog at the time. And um, before before that happens, though, she keeps uh, selling the point home to them that people are going to come. People are going to come watch this. She says people will come from all over to watch uh, baseball and remember what it was like when they were kids, she said. That's such a simple kid thing to say, yet profound to them. And and Ray's like, wow, I think I think uh, I think she's on to something here. And of course, Mark's like, you're not going to listen to a little kid. You're feeding her mind. You're feeding her head with all this nonsense, yada, yada, yada. And then Terrence that stands up and has delivers just the most iconic lines in the movie. And of course, uh, Terrence can see the players as well, by the way. He said, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come, right? And he, also in the line, he's like, the one constant throughout the years has been baseball. Just such a memorable speech and uh, iconic lines. Uh, again, Mark and Ray are fighting, and the fight kind of moves to Karen, and they pick her up, and she slips out of their arms, and he fall, she falls off the top of the bleachers and lands on the ground. And all the baseball players see or they're watching this and seeing this happen, which I love how when to back it up one step before that, when Terrence is making his speech, how they all stop and gathered around him. Yeah. They walk in towards him somewhat. Yeah. Yes. Great. That's great. Yep. Anywho, Moonlight, of course, who was Dr. Graham sees what is going on and he runs across the field and he knows I'm about to never play baseball again. But I got that one dream I asked, which was the to uh, get that at bat, which, you know, go the distance. He got to go the distance. He finished that that dream of his and to get that at bat. He walks across the threshold and he becomes the old man, Dr. Graham again. And he does so in order to save her life. And, of course, she was choking on a hot dog. He slaps her on the back, and she spits out the hot dog. And he says the you know she'll be doing handsprings by you know the uh, the night. And while this is all going on, Mark 
like sees it happen. Like he sees this old man come from the field out of nowhere. And then he sees the baseball players and he says, when did, when did these ball players get here? <laughs> Annie starts yeah. to laugh that, that classic laugh that she's had throughout the movie. And he's like, Ray, do not sell this farm. Don't sell this farm, Ray. <laughs> and she's just like, uh, go, go in and get a drink. You've had a long day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And then you have this line where Shoeless Joe then asked Terrence if he wants to come with them through the through the corn. And Ray is immediately offended. He's like, why aren't you inviting me? He's like, I'm the one who built all this, you know. And and that's when Joe says, did you do it for yourself? You know, kind of. Uh, you know, what do you was this all about you? I thought you did this for us type of thing. But like we like I was stating earlier, this was this was Terrence's opportunity. This was the, the opportunity for Terrence to ease his pain. And that's when he and Ray, Ray says to him, hey, I want a full report. I want you to write all about this. And you you see the joy in Terrence's face as a writer, knowing that he gets to go experience whatever's beyond that cornfield where these players have come from. And he's going to get the opportunity to to write about that. And he walks through the corn and he has this amazing scene where he kind of is giddy like a little boy as he puts his hand out into the corn and feels whatever's on the other side and kind of sees whatever's on the other side and he vanishes into the corn. And then that's when Joe says to him and you realize it was Joe who was who was the voice the whole time. If you build it, he will come. And of course, this whole time, Ray thought it was uh, for him, Joe, Shoeless Joe Jackson, that he was the he and he will come at the beginning. But that's not who he was talking about. Ray then looks over at the catcher. He realizes there's still a catcher there. And when the catcher removes his mask, he sees his father. But his father was young, young back when, like when he was playing in the minors. And it all makes sense to Ray at that moment why he had to do this. And so then Joe kind of leaves and leaves Ray with his father there. And Ray gets to introduce his family, his wife and his daughter to – he uses the word John. He was about to say dad, but then he just says John. And then you somehow know that John knows that Ray is his son. They, they know that, that this is a father-son thing at this moment. And they walk around the field talking, and uh, again, the line, is this heaven? And Ray says, it's Iowa. And, and then Ray then asks, is there a heaven? And John replies, oh, yeah, it's a place where dreams come true. And Ray then says, maybe this is heaven then. And um, – and then he asks his father, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? John says, I'd like that. And he turns on the lights on for them as they play catch on the diamond. And then the, as the as the camera zooms away, Chris, you see all these headlights of these cars for miles out in the middle of nowhere heading to this baseball field, just like Karen uh, prophesied of. As the movie fades out and you realize that this was all about a father and a son's relationship centered around that one constant that Terrence Mann talked about, that being baseball. What a poetic 
ending. I don't know of almost I, I really don't know of a, ba- of a sports film that has as good of an ending, if not a better ending than what Field of Dreams has. And that includes, remember, the Titans, Rudy, and I would even go as far as saying it's just as iconic as Rocky and Rocky II's endings, in my opinion, if not more. So that's Field of Dreams, Chris. Your thoughts before we rank it. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Uh, You know, the end of this film is just so good. And and don't lie to me, Eric. You get a little teary-eyed. Oh, yeah, you get you get teary-eyed throughout the whole thing, man. There's just but times that where it just hits you. You had to have a catch. I mean, it, it, it got to me a little bit. I ain't going to lie. Uh, yeah, just a, a tremendous movie. Uh, like you said, one of the most iconic monologues uh, at the end of that movie by uh, James Earl Jones. And really just kind of a you know i don't think baseball gets the attention today that it once did obviously right more people should watch this and just listen to that monologue because i'll tell you there is just something just and i I know the steroids had you know soured people on it The, the millionaire players have soured people on it but there is just something pure about baseball it's America's pastime, man. It's America's sport. It is. And, you know, this movie just, I think, really brings that all home. So, yeah, for me, absolutely just a tremendous movie. So right. why don't you go ahead and jump in and rank this movie, Eric, or re-rank this movie. Yeah, it is It is ranked very high for us. So let's see if it is able to maintain Maybe go a little bit higher, go go the distance possibly, or will it fall a little bit? Let's find out. From 1985, Teen Wolf, not even close, Field of Dreams. Absolutely. Keeping that streak going from 2006, the animated film Cars, again, Field of Dreams. Every day of the week. From 1996, first comedy here, it's going up against Kingpin, Give Me Field of Dreams. I'm with you there. From 1984, now we're getting tougher, the original Karate Kid. Love Karate Kid, Eric. Iconic film, but I'm going Field of Dreams. Both of these are iconic. Both are from the 80s. Hard to hard to realize, hard to believe. Field of Dreams is only five years younger than the Karate Kid is. Yeah, we we talked about what twenty three years old right now, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like so, the the field. Well, let's see. No, hold hold on a second. No, no. no. thirty. Yeah, thirty three. Thirty three years old. This film yeah. is. Yeah, and it doesn't feel that way at all, does it? No, it really doesn't. It holds up very well. Yeah, Field of Dreams eclipses Karate Kid. All right, here we go. From nineteen eighty six. Considered the greatest basketball film ever made, Hoosiers. I now, love these. Uh, both I love of these films. Both and, of these films are fantastic. And you know what? Hoosiers, like you said, I think greatest basketball film ever made. I think Field of Dreams holds up a little bit better. I'm going to go Field of Dreams. You know what? I was just about to tell you. We've watched both these films in the last two years. You and I have. I do believe 
Field of Dreams holds up better than Hoosiers does. Hoosiers is getting to that point where if you show Hoosiers to your kids, it's not going to hold their attention. Um, there, there are some some cinematic uh, issues with Hoosiers that we looked over in the 90s when we were kids. But yeah. now that we're being critical of the films, I do believe Field of Dreams is better than Hoosiers. Um, and I may have not have thought that a while ago. All right. From 1993, one of my all-time favorite films, Rudy. Now, I would say in a lot of ways these films are kind of similar. They hit you the same way. But for me, I am such a big Rudy fan. I'm going to take Rudy here, but I would not fault you if you said you liked Field of Dreams better. Yeah, you know, I, I love Rudy, um, but but I'm honestly, and maybe it's a little bit of recency bias, haven't seen Field of Dreams uh, more recently. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Field of Dreams here. Okay, let's flip for it. Heads, it's Rudy. Tails, it's Field of Dreams. And today, Tails wins. Field of Dreams has clipped Rudy. All right, and for the first time, Chris, since we have been – since we did the 64 sports movie challenge and started this podcast, the champion remember the Titans is going to get challenged here right now against field of dreams. Remember the Titans from 2000, the champion has a challenger for the first time. Remember the Titans field of dreams. I'll give you my direction first here. I won't tell you who I'm picking, but you know I like Rudy better than I like Remember the Titans as as a sports film and as a, as a football film. I agree that Remember the Titans is so important cinematically because of the time in which the film took place. It's based on a true story, and it 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 and it, it tackles the problem of racism and civil rights in such a pure level ground way that no matter what side of the aisle politically you stand on, you can come away from that film feeling proud to be an American and with the belief that there is commonality that you can meet both sides on. And that is a very powerful thing if a film can do that. And also, it doesn't hurt that the sports in it is fantastic. So that's kind of my feelings of Remember the Titans, where you have Field of Dreams. Well, obviously, Field of Dreams is not based on a true story, but as far as a uh, as a as a piece of fiction it's probably, at least we're saying, the greatest made-up sports film of all time. So here we go. What are your thoughts, and which direction are you going to go? Well, I agree with you, Eric. I think that Remember the Titans is obviously very important. I think cinematically it was a tremendously well-done film. I think the music in the film is spot-on. I think that the scene at Arlington is possibly one of the best scenes ever 
uh, made in a movie. Field of Dreams, there, there's just this connection I have to it. I love the, the love the movie. I love the story in the movie. I, I think it's, in a lot of ways, it, it's both heartbreaking and feel good at the same time. Uh, this is tough. It is tough. Eric, I... Oh boy, it's tough. I, I mean, <laughs> this is what it's going to come down to for me. If I had to choose one to watch today, I think I'm going to put in Field of Dreams. Ooh. Okay, so I'm I'm going to go Remember the Titans, and we're going to leave it up to chance here. I just feel like Remember the Titans is just more oh, significant. Wait, it, it it is by far more significant. Yeah. Let's leave it up to chance. The first time the champions getting a really serious challenge here. Heads, it'll be Remember the Titans will remain as champion. Tails, Field of Dreams becomes our new number one film and champion. Here we go. Chris, we have a new champion. It's Tails. Wow. Field of Dreams has just eclipsed Remember the Titans and is now the number one film on our flick chart, congratulations to Kevin Coster. And I'll tell you what, after we dogged him last week where he lost two two movies back-to-back, how about the redemption of Field of Dreams to go from number five on our flick chart to number one on our flick chart, the new champion of the – Varsity Videos Sports Movies is Field of Dreams, followed by Remember the Titans, number three, Rudy, four, Rocky, five, Hoosiers. So the top five remains the same. Just a little bit of a shakeup there. Six, Caddyshack, seven, Moneyball, eight, The Sandlot, nine, The Karate Kid, and ten, another Kevin Costner baseball film, Bull Durham. There's your top 10 and a new champion, Chris. Your thoughts? Wow. You know, the, the, the champ had been up there for a long time, Eric. Almost an entire year. But I'll tell you what, I you couldn't go wrong with either one. And I'll tell you what, that top 10 sounds like just a great movie marathon to me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited that we, we got a new champion, though. And, uh, you know... We talked about some really great films this week. Let me tell you, Eric, we're going to talk about a not-so-great film next week. Uh-oh. It's, it's, not, it's not The Wrestler Bad, okay? Okay. Gosh, please, no. But I don't know if you've ever seen this one. You know, you know how I like to try to pull them out of obscurity here? Have you ever heard of Jim Cotta? The Is this a name of a person, or is this a nope, film? It is a film. Jim Cotta. It stars uh, Kurt Thomas, uh, who was, of course, an actual athlete prior to becoming an actor. Um, but I'll tell you what, it, it's not bad. It's it's a martial arts film, uh, kind of. I like in, martial arts films. It, it, and it's in kind of the mold of a Hunger Games type of uh, a film, as far as. They have what's called the race, and uh, it, it's it's very cutthroat. It's got some good action, 
not probably a threat to enter our top ten, Eric. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'll tell you what, I think it's a, it's a fun movie to watch. So is it the movie called Jim Cotta or is yes. that? Okay. You can actually get it on most streaming services. I think it's a two ninety nine rental. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to find the film here. I know maybe I'm not spelling it. Oh, it's all one word. Jim yes. Cotta. Okay. I was spelling it like Jim, the first name Jim, and then Cotta, C-O-T-T-A, like the last name. G-Y-M-K-A-T-A. Yes. Jim Cotta. It's from the 80s, right? Yes, it is. Well, you know my love for the 80s, dude. Well, well, I'll tell you, this has got some pretty cheeseball parts in it, so this is right down your alley. <laughs> I'm going to love it, man. Of I'm course, excited. There, there, there's a great love story in there. Well, a would-be love story as well. Oh, well, you got to have that in the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, And, of course, his, his uh, love interest tries to kill him a few times. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I was watching – I actually watched a Bruce Lee film uh, – last last weekend um which we may one day have to do enter the dragon uh which is just iconic right but it was fist of fury i had never watched uh fist of fury great one and uh it's kind of like uh i i would uh, the japanese versus chinese gangs i mean it was just so you know so out there but uh yeah, I I love I love Bruce Lee. I love kung fu movies. Enter the Dragon to me is just the most iconic uh, martial arts uh, Bruce Lee film out there. Um, you know, it's got Jim Kelly in it. You know, John Saxon, uh, Robert Wall. That movie's fantastic. Bolo Young, who we've talked about before. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Jim Cotta. Good good choice. Don't Way be off. Too excited, Eric. But again, <laughs> it's not the wrestler, so you've got to hang your head on. That's right. All right, good. Good deal, dude. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So that is today's show. Remember to please rank and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts. Also make sure you're following us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash varsity videos. Until next time. See you at the field, on the court, and in the theater. Good night, everyone. Good night. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.